Well, hello there. This is Idiots versus Idiots. It's a podcast where two heavyset friends take a lighthearted approach to business and marketplace news. I see what you did there with the heavyset and lighthearted. Thank uh, you. Yeah, that yeah, was on purpose. Nice. Very, very that is nice. in our description and all of our other things now, by the way. <laughs> um, this is our after Christmas edition. Just had Christmas a few days ago. Um, I sent Robert a wonderful text message wishing him a happy winter solstice. And he's like, I, I celebrate Christmas. I'm like, could you not appropriate my deal of a guy? But whatever. <laughs> we have four. I say abs- Merry Christmas. I say yeah. Merry Christmas. So do I. Um, you know, I'm only half Jewish. So uh, anyways, uh, that's actually a funny story. I, I always tell people that because it is technically true. But. And then people get confused, and I'm like, this is too much work. Right. I just celebrate Christmas and pray to Jesus. So, um, <laughs> but that is my heritage. But let's jump into, let's just, Philip DeFranco, and just Philip jump DeFranco, into the story. Just stories. jump into it. Just jump then into throat, the crap. And then throat punch your way out of it. <laughs> we have four, I think, really fun stories for you today. And the first one, numero uno. In numero uno. Apple, it really seems like this is a long-time rumor, and it really seems like Apple's going to make an electric car. And I have some questions for you. How do you think they're going to do it? And here's my thought. And I'll just say up front, open, you know, transparency. This is idiots versus idiots. We, 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 we pride ourselves on telling the truth about our feelings and being transparent and authentic. Whatever I idiotic hate- comes out of our face holes is just <laughs> yeah. whatever it is. Yes. I hate people who like Apple products. The okay. products themselves are, they're fine. There's nothing wrong with them. Uh, my parents are wonderful people. My mother has no idea how oil goes from a field in <laughs> Iran to her car. And neither of my parents know how every year, magically, they have a new iPhone. Right. Okay. That's because I signed them up for some sweet lease deal. That you can't even get anymore with T-Mobile. And every single year, as long as I keep upgrading their lease, we keep getting work still grandfathered in. So every year they get brand new iPhone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And they have no clue how they arrive. They just go, oh, my phone looks different. I was like, Dad, you had a, you had a black phone. This one is bright red now. <laughs> and it took him two weeks before he's like, is this different? Or something? <laughs> is, there, is there a different? I still use it for texting and calling. So is there a difference? Yeah. But look, I, I am with you there in my disdain for the Apple elitists, right, yes. of the world. I, I don't like, I, I don't think any phone is worth standing in, in line for for hours or days on I end. I don't or, think they have the lines like they used to. I think by iPhone 6 or 7, people stopped caring that much. They created brand loyalty. And you know what? Good for them, right? God they, bless. Like, good for you. I'm glad that you did that. I have no compunction about that at all. Right? There's this, if you have an Android phone, it's a cheap phone, even though it could be more expensive than an Apple phone or have better services or whatever. But that's a culture thing they created, and they've worked very hard on keeping it that way. This is like $900, and it has a second screen attachment. Well, I actually saw this week, an, a, and this is kind of off topic, but this is the Apple and Android conversation. They actually called, um, they made the comparison. They were talking specifically about Apple car batteries, which is where yeah. really Apple car design is different. It uses yep. a completely different solid state battery versus, you know, yeah. what Tesla's, Tesla's using. And what they were using, they were essentially making the comparison of Apple's Apple car 
to is it going to be Apple's Apple Car and Tesla be the Android comparison? Where Tesla is very open concept, they share their designs, yeah, their battery more designs open source with the world, is what you mean. more open source, more yep. right, this kind of more user friendly. That kind their of their supercharger station is that network is open to every electric car maker. If you want to make an electric car, you can just he patented it. And in you know you, you know Elon Musk named it after Tesla. Tesla was famous for patenting things and then opening the patent to the whole world. You guys can do whatever you want with it. And I think Elon Musk's you know I've said this on the show before his kind of you know dropped acid approach to building business is a little more my flavor. Like right. Well, know. but that's look and I don't know that I don't know that the Apple Car will ever truly exist. Um, I and, and because They're I say twenty twenty four. Yeah, but I they mean, say a lot of things. I, well, I, here's the thing. I I will base how much I believe a story based on who is willing to report it. Right. And CNET, which is a storied technology media brand, I trust when they say a piece of technology ill or you know, will or at least that somebody, you know, within the proper channels says, says it's going to exist, whether or not it comes to fruition. Now here's what I'm wondering. There's a dozen or half dozen or so startup electric car companies you know we've we've covered the nikola tesla the nikola right. scam on this channel before we have my favorite scam of 2020 um <laughs> i have another one from you know we're going to cover next uh, next episode i think it was my 2019 best game of the year and i'm still listening to podcasts about this game because it was so good so this is a little teaser for you but um i, I do think that um it's not impossible Here's the one thing that Apple has over every other one of these startups, right? Lucid took, I think it was a billion plus dollars from, you know, the Saudi fund, which is, mm -hmm. a, you know, the Aramco fund, which is, you know, the Saudi kingdom's money. Right. They took Chinese money. It was like, they're a billion plus dollars into, there's several rounds and they've done a billion dollar, a couple of rounds. They don't have a product you can go buy yet, you know? Sure. Look, they they had the battery, right? Which is the biggest thing about an electric car is a different take on, you know, the battery. Which again is a solid state battery. It's supposed to last longer. It's supposed to be be better. It's supposed to be lighter. Well, no, which so is what a big I was, deal. Yeah. So what I was trying to say though, what was the point I was trying to get at was, the one thing that Apple has that none of these other companies have is stupid volumes of cash. Not that they have stupid like their valuation. I'm talking. They have these things that in Silicon Valley seems like a, it's just a myth which is called profits right yeah no they, they definitely have profits. they definitely have the money to push back into things but so does a company like toyota right i mean toyota has a crap ton of money to shovel yeah. into something like this there's a lot of companies look this is to me you have all these electric you know what I mean? Tesla's really Donuts. the only one that's done it so far. And sure. and that to only a really certain extent, right? That they, they have and not I, been largely I, profitable. And then um, I, I do think, like, you know, I'll just throw this in there. Um, I think General Motors' design, the original design of General Motors, like, those, their cars were dumb, right. right? The Volt and so on. But the original concept of a, you know... Um, it's a gas electric hybrid where the gas engine is, you know, charging the electric engine. So it's extremely like it's only going, it's only turning 500 RPMs. It's a generator effectively, right? And I think that is, that has to me as a car guy, that has more legs than just a straight electric. 
Yeah, right? no, well, and that ability to, okay, if I can get 200 miles out of the electrical portion of my engine, and then the gas engine kicks in to give me the other 200 that I'm going on a, you know what I mean? Where I don't have that, you know, fear of getting away from a plug or, or whatever Range anxiety. They call it range anxiety. Right. And the other, the problem that uh, this, the, the straight electric, the electric only car has is, isn't simply range anxiety. It's charging time. Right, and the sure. more they, the, and the the this is simply the way it goes. The the lo, the long the 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 faster they scale charging, the crappier your battery life is. Right. Well, this, yeah, because it's all about heat and transfer of energy, right? And and that kind of stuff. There's actually a company here in Cedar Park that's been here for last ten or fifteen years, and all they are is a specific battery design company. They're a think tank that have designed batteries for Tesla and for all the kinds of different companies, and they're they're constantly trying to come up with new, better ways, right, to go about this. And that is really that's where a lot of the things I read, even about Tesla, all these years and whatever is is that the next great breakthrough in battery technology will be the next great breakthrough in EV cars. We are not yeah. there yet from a battery standpoint. It, they still weigh too much. Talk to yeah. any Tesla certified mechanic out there. They'll tell you that even under warranties, these te all these different Tesla models are constantly redoing shocks and control arms and all this stuff because the car weighs a ton on these yeah. chassis that they're making that, light enough to make this stuff work. And, yeah, and that's why a lot of these electric car companies are going to trucks. Like because that that is a mm -hmm. that design already is conducive to heavy vehicles. Right. So that's somewhere where you can actually put a lot of range into some. And that's why I'm I, listen, I was I'm as anti EV and as pro internal combustion as they come <laughs> simply because I don't I just can't get over the noise. To me, driving a car, I don't care like how fast, you know, there's always going to be a faster car, but I'm saying, you know, I don't know if you've ever, you've probably seen him running around on the highway, a Hellcat, you know, Dodge Challenger, yeah, Charger, of course. my buddy had one and we, I ripped this thing down the highway. I went uh, only the speed limit because I obey laws, <laughs> but the noise it makes is like the heavens part and the angels are singing and you're just. Dude, my, my first car was a 71 Chevelle, okay? I called it the ball rattler because literally the the exhaust pipes down both sides directly yeah, yeah, from yeah. the engine led right down in between the bench seats of the passenger yeah. and the, the driver. So when I hit the passing gear, when I put my foot into it, regardless of how yeah. fast or slow I was going down the highway, and you heard that roar, that kick down, that... Yeah. It literally tossled your balls, okay? Yeah. It was... It was because of now again i'm with you you are you are so fat that you needed a bench seat aren't you hey shut your face anyway the <laughs> you're an idiot the uh it's true the, the point being is yes you are you have true car guys like you and i that mm. have this sound issue from an ev that that i don't get the vibration i don't get the feeling mm. of driving a car but those are things that can be mimicked and fixed yeah I, you can create a muffler right on one of these cars to create sound. So those things can be mimicked down the line, but I think it's a low priority for them to figure out right now. There, and there's, um, you know, there BMW already today with their existing cars, they understand, you know, they're the ultimate driving machine. They already have the technology. They're already pumping car noise. They're already pumping exhaust note into the car's stereo. Absolutely. So that well, you, because that's listen, and 
on some level, it's mystery meat. And I'm like, nah, I want the real thing. I want to know this thing had a mom and it died and it was sad and it felt feelings because that's how it's tasted. Okay. I get it. But, but look, I, I go back to the original story. I don't think Apple will have a car, or if it does, it'll be short-lived. I think what ultimately ends up happening is what Elon Musk said a year ago, which is, hey, I would love to get Tesla to a point where General Motors or Ford Company or Diamond Chrysler or whoever says, you know what, we're going to partner together and we're going to figure this crap out forever, right? We're going to use all this technology that you come forward. It'll be a conglomeration that eventually happens. You will not end up with 12 different car companies making electrical vehicles. Yeah. You'll end up with four or five or six, just like automakers. So I would, one thing about what you just said, I want to dissect really quick here was you said Daimler Chrysler. Welcome to I'm 2002. Sorry. I apologize. Uh, yes. Yeah. They're they're uh, right now. Uh, it's finally been approved. This is a side, you know, we're getting off track here, but they've, you know, Daimler Chrysler stopped existing like a long time ago. Uh, 2006 or seven, right, yeah. right up until the crash. Um, yeah, so you should, does technically exist. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying, like, we run a business podcast, Shit and face. you just said, like, you don't. This is that's, and literally, Chrysler just merged with PSA, like Fiat Chrysler, so they're called Stellantis now. Whatever, but yeah. yes, you get my point. Yeah, no, and here's what I think. I think you know, it's interesting story about Elon Musk. Uh, I think when the he he attempted to get Tim Cook to buy them at sixty billion. Mm-hmm. Today, the, today Tesla's valued at six hundred fifty billion. Oops. Yeah. Oops, Timmy. Oh. Yeah. Oops. Tim Apple. Come on, man. Tim right. Apple. You jacked that one up. Um, and it's, dude, it's just like, how many times did Yahoo, like Google attempted to sell themselves to Yahoo and right. Microsoft attempted to buy Yahoo for mm-hmm. like 44 million and then they got sold to Verizon for 4 billion. There's yeah. a 44 billion. Netflix and the, to, to Blockbuster. I mean, look, yep. you can go All down these, the list over yeah. and over. And ultimately it was their, it was their suicide that they didn't do that. Here's what I think, though. I think just like Apple acquired Beats and they took their time, and they still sell Beats headphones, but you can also go buy a $600 pair mm-hmm. of over-the-ear phones that, like, you know, basically just hijacked Beats technology, and that's so sure. It's no longer Beats by Dre; it's Apple Beats. So what I think they will do is they will acquire perhaps one, if not two or three. Um, in a roll-up type strategy, mm-hmm. they will roll up a handful of different um, gas, like uh, electric car makers, and, because they have the cash to do it, and they don't have to go configure infrastructure. They'll they'll redo infrastructure to make it Apple infrastructure. But I'm just saying, like, they don't have to go build factories. They already have the battery technology, which is the hard part. Absolutely, right. And so, so what's interesting is. Apple went out and hired, I forget the guy's name, his name's Ron Johnson, I can now that I remember. Um, and he was, for a brief period, the CEO of JCPenney, you know, when they went completely downhill. But before that, he was the guy who brought Apple stores into fruition. Okay. Well, I mean... From just a concept. They went and hired a guy, I think he was like the CEO of Mervyn's California or something. Yeah, so I'm just saying, like, I think they go acquire them, them, like, acquire their way to the... 
Do they? I, I think they have the money for it, but I just don't. I don't know that Apple wants to be making cars. I think it's a. I, I think like a lot of things, you have companies, and we've talked about this on this podcast before, with deep pockets that are looking for things to spend money on, whether it's for a tax write-off or whether okay, maybe we do knock this one out of park. You know what I mean? Out of the park somehow. I just don't know that Apple wants to be making cars. I, I again, I go back to Elon Musk just because he's done this for so much longer. This guy hit, went to General Motors and said, hey, let me use your factories, right, that you're building cars out of, and let me make Teslas out of them. You already have the floor. And they were like, nah, nah, we're not helping anybody that's, you know what I mean, that our competitor. And then Elon Musk tries to start creating his own factories, and that's led to its own issues, right? Its own set of issues. And that well, kind of I mean, stuff. I don't know that a- Apple wants to go down that road. I, well, the difference, as I said before, between Apple and Tesla even is Tesla has to deal with, like, stock prices, right? right? Apple has, you know, they're a public company, but I'm just saying Apple has this thing called profits. They are printing money over there. Like, they're the right. Federal Reserve, okay? And they're, like, if I was them, I obviously, you know, I'm not them. I'm seeing a roll-up strategy that works, which they're just going to acquire X, there's a there's a couple of Chinese ones where you know that's a lot of where the manufacturing is going to be. The the other interesting thing too is Tesla acquired factories from Toyota and General Motors. Right. They're, one of their Cal, I think it's their California factory was was a was a was a joint venture from Toyota General Motors. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was called Numi or something like that. And when when that agreement uh, was terminated, when that agreement finished is when Tesla moved their entire operation to Plano, Texas. And that is what I think Elon Musk purchased. So, I mean, I just think that's, it's, it, to me, it's, it's fascinating. I think the future is so interesting. Um, but I'm still just, you know, uh, you know, let me recall, recall the tweet from Peter Thiel, which said, I was promised flying cars and all I got was 180 characters. It's before <laughs> Twitter gave him more right. characters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, I'm, I listen, if if the cars are flying in the sky, I don't really care if they're, you know, ice engines, right? But if they're on the ground, I want them to go vroom vroom. Okay? I think they've I think they've almost but given up on flying cars for the most part. I think they are so stuck on getting us off of fossil fuels, getting us off of gasoline yeah, as a whole, or listen, at least mostly, that they have that, that is what they're they're that's their forward so, thinking right now. So here's the thing, and let me just make a extremely political statement. That is a obnoxious, first of all, goal, and it is innocuous in the sense that digging up these batteries out of the ground, because at the end of the day, they're not just like, you know, um, thinking them into the ex- into existence uh, using 100%. the secret. Yeah, yeah, they are drilling into the ground. Some poor African kid probably is losing his arm because they're in a mine somewhere, a Congolese mine, extracting battery. Uh, the stuff they put in the batteries. Yeah. Yeah. Battery components. And there, there has been studies. There was a study done, you know, I I forgot what year it was, but it was when they were still making Hummers, like, you know, before the Hummer EV, Mm -hmm. like it's actually better on the environment because, you know, they have to take the battery from Africa. They were, they, they send it to Japan and the car gets made in Japan and sent to the United States. You're actually doing more for the environment by buying an older car with, with, with horrible fuel economy. But the problem is this is not a that owning that Tesla that that um, that that Prius, it's not a 
and this ties into Apple in a certain way, it's 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 a cultural thing. It's about sending a it's about virtue signaling. I'm a good person. Absolutely. A, and then not and then going, hey, that guy's diesel truck that is 60 years old and it's blown coal. It's roll, he's rolling coal everywhere. It's actually better for the environment because you know it's staying on the road longer or all that other stuff. Yeah. But here and let me I just want to wrap up the story by saying this. I like electric cars, but I despise electric car owners the same way I hate Apple fanboys. Sure. I don't hate people who just go to the store and like, yeah, I need a phone, give me an Apple phone because that's ubiquitous and it's just easier to use the ubiquitous thing. Right. I don't I'm not offended by that Apple user. And I'm also not offended by someone who's like, dude, I drive 30,000 miles a year. I'm a salesperson. I don't care about cars there. It's a frying pan. It's a utility. It's a commodity. Right. It's not a, it's not a, that doesn't bother me. You don't buy your Prius. Like it, it's a perfectly reliable car to do Absolutely. That. You, you right? drive your, four miles to work, right? Because you live in a downtown, you know, condo yeah. or whatever. Yeah. No problem with it whatsoever. Not offended by it. But what I do despise is the, I'm doing something for the planet. That's why I drive a hundred thousand dollar Tesla. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you. I'm with you there. The Apple elitism, right? That the EV elitism, right? It's the that, same group of people. It's the same. It's the same chuckleheads that we see, and we see them in Austin when it's six downtown Austin, uh, when it's sixty degrees, mm-hmm. and they they they're wearing a, a freaking fleece vest. Stop. Well, but I'm just but saying like, you're talking about the consumer side versus yeah. and then you flip it over to the business side. Hey, I got no problem with you. Right. I don't you can get I really somebody don't, but... to spend one hundred thousand dollars on a vehicle that they could probably, you know what I mean? Again, carbon yeah. footprint and blah, yada, yada, yada for half that. Right. Yeah. You're, you're getting them to do it. Right. I mean, wh- right. what is it? Um, uh, what's the EV one? The the loaded loader motors. What's the what's the one? Local motors. No, no, no. no. The, the Lordstrom Lordstrom. Lord's uh, truck, Lord, uh, yeah. it's Lord's so Town. That one, I, I mean, I was just reading an article this week. Something like eighty thousand have uh, you know put people Pre-ordered. have put a deposit down on right, and as they get more and more orders, though, it just gives them more and more of that yeah. elitism kind of thing, right? People just want to be the first eighty thousand no, people that have that truck. It's not if just it ever that hits they the want to be the first, right? I think that they want to be like, look at me. I'm doing something good for the environment. And if you want to do something good for the environment, God bless. Good luck. Go ahead and do it. But if you want to talk about having done done something good for the environment, you're in a cult. <laughs> I I understand. It is. It's it's it. It definitely is a. If you uh, if you want to eat keto, if you want to be a vegan, if you want to go do CrossFit, I don't care. But if you want to talk about it, you're in a cult. Okay. Ready for story I think, number two? I think the word you I think you accusing of all EV drivers and Apple yep. people of being yes. in a cult. I think yes. that's where we should end the story. I think that feels right. I, I, I think <laughs> I think that's exactly where this story should end. That uh, right. Danny called so, all Apple users and EV users in a cult. But that's not what I said. You're mischaracterizing <laughs> what I said, but I will take that as a transition. <laughs> Domino's is giving Looks like they're giving all their workers, right? Did I read the story correctly? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is one of those rare times where Big Man actually um, sent me a story and I permitted us to do it. Ah, yes, yes. Danny um, is a, you know, uh, I'm a story story Nazi. He is a story Nazi is what he is. But go ahead. Um, They're giving all of their hourly workers $1,200 in bonus. 
you know what? And I did send you the story because I think it is important. We've talked about it on this podcast before that we wanted this podcast to be something that is a, you know, that puts some positivity out in the world that we talk about some good things. And here is a, a situation where a company that doesn't have to is giving tens of millions of dollars of its profits that guess what? Guess, guess one of the food industries that is actually making a crap ton of money this year in 2020 Carry out pizza. Carry out pizza, right? So they're giving tens of millions of dollars to their employees. Now, granted, obviously, I don't think this is 100% um, for for them, right? It's it's a way for them. Guess what's probably been a high turnover year for employees, right? And, and a hardworking year to keep employees, right, during COVID and that kind of stuff. So obviously, this is one of those things you can do as a company and go, see, we took care of y'all. You need to keep working. You need to keep showing up. You need to stay here longer, yada, yada. But it is still, at the end of the day, these people that get these $1,200 checks good for them good for giving away profits and stuff like that and guess what the, the in the grand scheme of things you're talking about a publicly traded company that is trading somewhere between i think 350 and 400 dollars a share this is not a company that is this is a drop in the bucket this is this is something that they can get these kind of headlines you and i can sit here and talk about how this is a great thing that is nothing to them i mean it is pocket change to them this is um, a fraction of what I, I would guess their advertising budget is. I could I could guess their advertising budget is not gonna is gonna exceed this in the next in a quarter probably right. Right. So this good this this volume of good press is hard. You can't buy it for this amount of money. No, that this probably cost them in totality less than a Super Bowl commercial. Which they Absolutely. always have. You know what yeah. I mean? And and, and so, that's my point. I am surprised that more companies did not use this Christmas season to do more things like this of the companies that have been profitable this year. And there are a lot of companies that have been more profitable this year that have that have been just not even strategically just kind of happenstance because of COVID and the way we live our, our, our lives now that have yeah. been able to make a lot of money. And I was surprised more and more haven't done that this season just because of what you just said. The advertising they're getting from this outweighs anything else that they've done near, this year in advertising. Yeah, you have to stop saying that word. You can say Tecate or Dos Equis, but anyways. <laughs> Because we're going to get tagged, man. It Sorry, drives me freaking nuts. I apologize. It's not yes. your fault. It's not your fault. All right. Dos uh, I Yeah, I, I, I blame Sue or whatever the heck the CEO of YouTube's name is. Or my cousin Sundar Pichai is the CEO of Google. I blame him. Screw you, man. Um, <laughs> can, can we just end up just just screw you everybody we'll just make a list every now and then right. we'll just look at the list and go oh by the way screw that person yeah you know, exactly i'm all for that but um, yeah. no listen i and this is not the first time Domino's has done something in this vein they were filling potholes i think it was last year or the year before oh yeah and they were and they were you know they were they were spray painting over the potholes that Domino's filled it and to the, you know, everyone knows I'm a anarcho-capitalist, which is a type of libertarian. You know, the number one question that we we often, the, the meme in our circles is like, who's going to build the roads if we get rid of the government? Domino's! Domino's, apparently. Domino's, Domino's apparently. is going to be building you the road. 
what whatever small town got that what you know won that yeah. contest or got those roads you know it wasn't Domino's a contest could, it was literally they just went around and found potholes well but imagine them. come on if Domino's had to fix the the potholes in your city what like you got to feel like your city has let you down at that point right like I, I, and I listen as as someone who believes the things I believe uh-huh. I want people to feel that. And I want them to go if a pizza if a pizza chain, okay, a place that is dominated where the workforce is dominated by people who wouldn't even understand idiots versus idiots because that's yeah, where they right. are on the <laughs> right. that's where they are on the food the the food chain of life. Right. No pun okay? intended. Yes. Right. Exactly. Um, these are not and there's nothing wrong with being that kind of person because you you work by the sweat of your brow. You make a good. I know I know people. Who like my friend had a kid at a time he wasn't expecting to have a kid, was delivering pizzas and he's like I put you know I put hey, diapers on my pizza. kid. Man. Hey, pizza drivers can make some money in certain places make, and you get a yeah. You know. And that's that's beside the point. What I'm saying is right. the feeling when you get that feeling that a company whose workers are dominated by a certain class of intellect. And I, I'm paying somebody $150,000 a year to be my congressperson. And you can't figure out, like, in, you know, I pay, you know, four cents to the, to, the, to the oil company to take oil out of the ground, refine it, bring it to me, and make it so it goes in my car. And I'm giving 40 cents to the government to put a road down. For every gallon of gas you pump, that's roughly the breakdown, 40 cents to the government, four cents to the, you know, so anytime anyone's like, these evil oil companies and their profits, that's and they can't figure out how to put a road in, but a dum dum at the pizza shop, right? That I want you to feel that I want you to go. My town is letting me down, but my pizza franchise is not. <laughs> and that is that's, how. That's some loyalty right there. That and is. That is and that is how, a narco capitalist like myself, that's how we are made. Okay, well, we go wait. I gave these ding-dongs money. They can't figure out how to put a road there. The pizza guy can. Screw the government. Let's give the government over to Donald. That's Donald's. all it boils down to for Danny, folks, is screw the government. Yep. That's, that's, that's all Danny. That's all it boils down to Always. for Danny is screw the government. Um, but, yes, they did but a good thing, is... and they'll, they'll, they'll benefit from it. They'll sell some Absolutely. more pizzas. They'll sell some more pizza pies for it. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, they have sandwiches and pasta. You can go, uh, you know, they, we're, we're, we're not – not sponsored by Domino's today, but if we you need go to, to be Domino's, sponsored by Domino's, I will wear a Domino's shirt. I have no problem with that. My I fat would ride around ass, with one of those on my lifted car. That's now. right. Like, my my fat ass will put one of those sunscreens right here, right here next to yeah. the Pittsburgh Steelers logo. Like right, I don't uh, have a great problem. With it. Um, but but and I'm no. just going to ignore. I'm just going to ignore the fact that you are Texas born and raised from Dallas, and you're a Steelers fan. Hey, you there know is what? something. Shut it. We're all idiots in our own way. <laughs> I'm sure Cowboys fans will hate it, but it is what it is. Pittsburgh Steelers, that's the way it is. Can, can we it. move on, please? You got yeah, another story? What are we doing? We, we have plenty of other stories, big man. Take you, your time. We do. All right. I'm okay, sorry. this is our first ever, first time in the history of idiots versus idiots. We have a subscriber question. Woo! Yes! Yeah. Uh, uh. I am telling um, all my fake friends about this. Yeah, so the subscriber is actually my, you know, someone in my family. So. Oh uh, well, hey, why'd you have to tell that? We could have rode that one for a while, like. But um, you know, we will link down in the description the 2020s most profitable franchises. 
Um, yes. And the question that I wanted to, the, what I wanted to talk to you about this was. I took a look at what, this list. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on franchising in general? I know at some point in time, weren't you a Century 21 franchisee? I, at one point I was, yes. Okay. Not anymore. No. At one point, a long time ago. Um, do you think franchises, and I'll talk about my opinion on them. Do you still think they are worth investing into? And do you think they're a decent path to entrepreneurship? I think that, that it's a more complicated question than are they good or not. I think 90% of franchises are almost but worthless. Uh, you, I mean, the amount of franchising opportunities, quote-unquote, out there, are, are a lot of them are just take advantage of people in a lot of different ways. I've invested in companies, not specifically franchises, but companies that do franchises that then I, I, I've been in, I've invested in enough of them to see how bad ones are run and they're run into the ground and then they go to make zero money and leave franchisors out there in the cold. There's a lot of really bad ones and it's hard because of the way they're marketed to know the difference between good ones and bad ones. Right. So, so to me, 90% is a no they are not worth it um if you want to start a carpet cleaning business or you want to start a maid service business you can just as easily um market yourself and make just as much money and keep all of your money now yeah. there are exceptions there is that 10 percent, like that list that that you were referring to yeah, yeah. so when let me you have just high like... quality names that bring yeah. a value so let me just talk about you know the ones that we're seeing here the top 10 um starting with 10 Ace Hardware, Supercuts, Jan Pro, Pearl Vision, Anytime mm -hmm. Fitness, The Maids, Dream Vacations, the UPS store, which, hey, I mean, like, you know, in a pandemic year, right? People are buying a lot of stuff on Amazon. How do you right. do returns? UPS store. Um, Dunkin' Donuts, or it's just Dunkin' now, because America right. runs on Dunkin'. Right. And, of course, Mac Arnold's, number one, McDonald's. Um, here's my thoughts on franchising. Here's what I think is interesting. If you're going to go buy a franchise, kind of like what you said, if they offer something to you that you can't build on your own. Right? right. And because if they offer a name that people recognize, if they offer something, it, and I know, like, we actually know someone, I don't, you probably don't remember him, but um, he was a, a franchisee of a sandwich place. Okay. I won't say which one, but it was a launching. It was a launching point for him. He was in the franchise for. He wrote it up. He wrote. I mean, he rode the franchise to its peak, sold off his stores, and it was an opportunity for him to be an entrepreneur. Where, you know, sometimes entrepreneurship requires a certain amount of creativity and a certain amount of this and that. Mm -hmm. And we talked about. I think it was a few episodes ago. A friend of yours who's in the who owns a pizza franchise. Right had no previous business experience. And that's where I think buying a franchise is maybe the opportunity that franchising offers. You know, if you're, if you get a chunk of cash from a settlement or whatever, mm -hmm. an inheritance, who knows, you know, or you just save your money and you don't buy a house and you buy a franchise instead. I think what's interesting though, is, you know, a friend of our, a friend of mine and I had looked into buying two different franchises. He was from the South and this is back when I lived up North, but um, he's like, dude, you guys don't have Chick-fil-A here and you don't have Sonic. And we looked at both of those franchises and one thing that they had in common, and Chick-fil-A is a great, is fantastic to its franchisee. It is. Right? Yeah. It's really good to you. And they, and they don't make you take any debt. You borrow money from Chick-fil-A. Exactly. 
I think you put up seven grand, but here's the thing. Chick-fil-A is a rule. You got to work 30 hours a week in a restaurant and there is no, mm-hmm. that's it. Like, and for a lot of people, that might be like, well, yeah, but dude, if, if I'm going to go work 40 hours somewhere, I'd rather work 30 in a place that I own. Right. And I'd rather, you know, where that doesn't have all this startup costs and all this stuff. And they, you know, maybe you have a value, alignment of your values there. But it's like, well, let's say, for instance, you know, you were a manager of a, a Taco Bell or something. I know some of you used to manage Taco Bell, made 40 grand a year, mm-hmm. 45,000 bucks a year. I mean, if you if you can put the money together and you can get approved, and they have the they have a pretty lengthy process because you're not they're, you're not paying them a lot of money, they're making the money on the back end. But to me, as someone who's a I wouldn't call myself an established entrepreneur, but my thought process on entrepreneurship is a little more developed. I'd go. Why would I buy myself a job? Well, what you're you know, what you're doing is if I don't have severability. You're yeah. buying a blueprint, right? And and yes, certain entrepreneurs, I know several that have done the 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 um, franchising route, and if it fits their personality types, I think really good franchises bring two th- a couple of things to the table. One of them you kind of alluded to there that their process is kind of lengthy. Any good franchise is going to have reasons why their process is so lengthy or expensive there's several franchises out there that are you have to not only put up this fee but you have to be worth a certain amount of money to guarantee there you know that you can afford to run this kind of business and that kind of stuff and what is that do you really need that amount of money to run it no they're trying to create hurdles to eliminate certain types of people chick-fil-a is creating hurdles so that their business owners they're trying to get to a certain type of person, right? The person that wants skin in the game, the person that, you know what I mean? The whole financing it themselves and stuff like that. Benef- oh, by the way, benefits them because if you don't keep up your payments and whatever, they're going to just take just over the take restaurant. The store and then, back, yeah. Right. So uh, you're, so they're, they're doing all these things for a reason, right? The ones that are falling the other 90% are occasionally a lot of these low cost, right franchises of names that you don't recognize and stuff like that that yes they provide you with a blueprint but they don't provide you with what you just said that name recognition which is really the biggest part of a franchise is by their McDonald's doesn't fail there no McDonald's as a company you put a new McDonald's I don't care if it's 3 blocks from the last McDonald's McDonald's don't fail Chick-fil-A's don't fail Ace Hardware's yeah. aren't gonna fail. The only one that I found that was weird for me on that top ten. Oh list no, I think Ace. Hard- I mean, I don't know anything about Ace Hardware. I'm not disparaging them. I'm just saying I don't know if I. Let me just put it this way: I don't own one, and I wouldn't put my money into an Ace Hardware. Well, the, again, but my my the one that was on that list that I found was the Dream Finders one. The the no, travel no, Dream agent. Vacations. Dream Vacations. The travel agent. Dream Finders. I, I'm sorry, this dream... show with you is impossible. Okay, Dreamfinders any... is a okay. I'm a r- real estate agent. Dreamfinders is a home builder here in, in Central Texas. Sorry about that. Dream Vacations. I can't tell you the last time I used a uh, vacation agency. A a you know what I mean. Probably. It doesn't because when's the last time anybody did? I thought the internet killed these companies long time ago. The last and... time I used one was. A couple of years ago, I took the kids to Walt Disney, and I used an actual Walt Disney. Believe it or not, yeah, they yeah. have actual Walt Disney 
That's all she sells is packages to Walt Disney, and it was cheaper than I could get myself. Now, how she accomplished that, I have no idea, but she did, and it was cheaper to go through her than it was for me to book everything. But how does a company, how does Dream Vacation still exist, and how are they a franchise in 2020? I remember maybe it was five years ago, uh, my dad's uncle was booking a flight, and he's like, I just went over to the Sears uh, vacation desk. I was like, pardon? What? He lives in Canada, and he was—he had to come here. Um, he was coming to visit my dad for something. He said, oh, yeah, I just went over to the... Uh, my dad's like, so, like, you buy it on Expedia? Do you buy it directly from Delta? He's like, no, no, I bought it from uh, Sears Travel Agent Desk. He's like, what? That's still... That was a thing? <laughs> that's still a, that's- well, I didn't know Sears was up there still, but, like, it, it blew my mind. He got here. Uh, well, hey, but you know, and, and maybe Lee is still a thing in certain places. Maybe it's a yeah. maybe it's a high end thing, right? Where people that don't want to do their own stuff, they still call it this. Yeah, you know. So like another one that like so some of these where I you know I have a friend who was going to buy a franchise or might still buy a franchise. It was a cleaning company, and he had already owned his own cleaning business. And I was like, yeah, but you realize if you give these people, I don't know, you know. Um, however many dollars it was, you know, let's say 50 grand. Like, do you know what you could do for, with how much advertising you could saturate an entire region with marketing for $10,000. You could become the face of cleaning in a certain region for $15,000. And you already, it's not complicated, man. You just scrub stuff. Well, but yes, from an employee standpoint, but, like I, I have a guy here that actually I, a, a previous client and a good friend of mine that I think is about to franchise his cleaning company, and he's he's looking at it. But he, this, and this is where a lot of companies, and again these franchise companies, the the missing piece is even if I give you a blueprint, even if I give you marketing. A lot of these certain things like cleaning companies, especially commercial cleaning companies, which is the one my buddy, you know, a company he started from scratch, not a franchise. And, and I mean, he's doing something like three million dollars in business all by himself. You know what I mean? Well, Each I mean, year. And the Takate Takate year is a good year to be out there starting a cleaning business. Well, yeah, right. but it's it's so the problem is, is how did he create that? He didn't create it by marketing. He created it through the people that he knew. He knew a bunch of these places to get go. He had owned a, a, a cleaning company years ago and got out of the business. He went right back to those people and said, hey, I've started a cl- another cleaning company or whatever. So he had contracts out of the gate from what he knew and and right. he knew people he didn't have to build it from scratch and then that led to business that led to business now oh by the way it's partially because he does a damn good job at what he does right yeah, he employs so like, really good people so like he you know he has he's built relationships but i have relationships with people that they can be like hey man i'm starting a business selling x y and z you know i'd be like good for you but i'm not buying anything from you because you're an idiot you know, so <laughs> if you have solid processes, that could be like a value proposition sure. to somebody. But I'm just saying some of these companies, it's not to disparage any of them. Right. And for a lot of people, they want to be an entrepreneur. They want to be a business owner. They want to get on that other side of the cash flow quadrant that Kiyosaki taught mm-hmm. us all about. They don't know how. And so I think franchising solves that how. And I feel for a lot of people, you know, it might not be a lifelong journey. It could be one of those things where you buy the business, you build it up, you sell it to uh, somebody who owns 50 units, 
um, and they're just rolling up all the entire thing, and that you're going to go on to bigger and better things. And this is that one exit that very few people have those opportunities in life to get wealthy. This might be a thing where put down 50 grand, you give it everything you got for 10 years and you exit on the other side with four or 5 million bucks. And then you go invest in it as something else. But I'm just saying like, there's a lot of it's, it's interesting to me. And I do think there's going to be an emerging model where it's a, like, a, I would call it a hybrid franchise, but they're going to go, you do, you call it whatever you want. Here's the blueprint. And right. we're going to set you up with these suppliers. And if you go find the best suppliers, you can set up an agreement. And I know someone who's done this as a franchisee. You go set up the suppliers and you say, hey, I'm going to bring you 50,000 or whatever. Let's say I'm going to bring you 1,000 new customers this year. Yeah. I want back end on the customers, right? So you get out of a situation where you're forcing somebody into this thing. And you're there to coach them through it. And I know somebody who bought a um, a different franchise making subs, um, not the not the first person I mentioned, and they failed. Right. And it was it was it was so sad. They took everything they had. Mm-hmm. They were they were a regional manager for Subway. This company came in from uh, Florida, and they you know the the CEO of the company was there for two weeks helping them out. Like it was a they did their best, but they simply failed. They actually purchased an old subway because the subway had moved into a new complex down the street. Mm-hmm. So they had like, there was a just, but it's just one of those things. It failed. Right. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing would have been if like, they say, Hey, here's the place to go buy organic meats and cheeses and all the other stuff you want. Here's how we suggest you organize your store. Here's how we suggest mm-hmm. it. they're going to give you ideas that you would have never thought of. Right. Right. They already have a proven method. They have stores still standing today. But it would give people the opportunity to really be creative, start their own thing, and own a brand, but still have. And I know this is this is actually a thing that exists already in the tanning industry, the tanning salon industry. So, um, but anyways, that was. I, I just think that was really cool. We got a first subscriber question. Well, and a great question because I think this is one of those that. Obviously, you and I both have opinions and a little bit of conflicting of opinions on it. But it is one of those things that you can sit for the next six months learning nothing about but franchising and still have varying opinions, right? There is no magic bullet here. And, you know, I know some, like, franchise brokers, and that's their job is, hey, I want to go start a business. And they don't. you don't pay them. They get paid by whichever franchise you end up choosing. And it's not bad to go sit down with someone like that and have a conversation because most of them, they probably have a hundred conversations and sell one franchise and that's their business. And, you know, if this is something you are interested in, I compel you, I demand that you go find the absolute slickest lawyer you can find. Mm Got to make you feel, here's how you know if you found a good attorney. They make you feel a little gross on the inside. That's a good lawyer. <laughs> that is to Danny. I, I don't feel that way at all. Uh, I feel yes, that way. Go ahead. I, I... Because I want someone who's looking at the law as a flexible, malleable thing. <laughs> I judge just, my I'm lawyers by giving them. I judge my lawyers by giving them the scenario and based on their reactions. So you okay. know, like, yeah, uh huh. So I call you at three o'clock in the morning, and then he goes, "Listen, I'm a franchise attorney. I don't do criminal." <laughs> Find a franchise attorney. Listen, it's worth paying. If you're thinking I'm going to go invest 
50, 100, 150, whatever thousands of dollars. If you're thinking you're going to go invest 5,000 into a franchise, it is worth paying a guy 500 bucks to go, uh, this can't, contract is written to screw you left and right at every angle. Sure. To buy crappy vacuums from this company. You have to buy crappy cleaning mm-hmm. supplies. They won't, it won't, this is a dumb contract. It's worth spending the $500 to understand that that $5,000 investment would have been flushed down the drain. It's worth that money. So I compel you, I command you right now, if you're going to start a franchise, find yourself a fantastic franchise attorney. And it may behoove you to find a franchise broker in your area that I don't, you know, we don't have a service or anyone we're going to refer to. But And by the way, those are the minimums. If you have not, if you're if you're looking at franchises and you haven't contacted a franchise lawyer and you haven't contacted a franchise broker, I think you have done yourself a disservice. Um, so I think to me those are the two minimums, because totally. one of the other things that a franchise broker is going to do for you is they're going to, or a good franchise broker is going to ask you what you're wanting out of it and what you're willing to give into it, because right. like you said, there are different franchises. Some people want to own a franchise, they want to hire somebody to run it, they want to go out about their business. And and you can't do that with some franchises and, right. and stuff like that. So and, and they and they have you know ownership requirements you know um, that you may not because like I like you were saying man if I have to be in a Chick Fil A thirty hours a week I did something wrong that's right. my view of things right but there might be somebody out there who was managing a McDonald's talk about whatever is like that'd be great I get Sundays off and it's gonna cut their hours and increase their net worth. And it's totally worth it to them. And they well, apparently there's a lot of them out there because there's a lot of people that own Chick Fil A's, right? So I, I mean, that so apparently there's a lot of people out there. But but that's the point. You just need to make sure you know what you're getting into. The ones that I know that have failed um, are are ones that that uh, I think they certainly the, weren't on this list. That's for sure. Right. Know, well, that that and they that was definitely right. A lot of them I know that weren't on that list, but but they were also I would say that 90 percent of the people that I know that failed in franchising didn't go see that franchise lawyer. They didn't go see that franchise broker. They kind of jumped right into something right because of the 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 cost of it or or, or yeah. whatever and and there were there were there were obvious red flags along the way is all I'm saying right, right? Re- yeah. avoidable red flags along the way we're gonna jump to this next story but fun factoid to end this one on is yeah I think it's sixty five or seventy percent something wild like that of the Duncan system is franchised by my people the Browns not oh, the Browns oh, really. So. Like I, being a Longhorn people. fans, when I think Duncan, I just know that Colt McCoy owns like 38 of them here in Texas. That I don't know was, who that is. Colt McCoy was a Longhorn quarterback that then made it to the NFL mm. and still plays for the NFL. He's actually played for, started for the Giants the last couple of weeks, which oh. Giants are garbage. Mm. But uh, he owns like 38 of them. But again, think about this. This guy, th- this goes specifically to what I was just talking about. Here's a guy that if you're a Longhorn fan, which a lot of the state of Texas is, right? If you're a Longhorn, Texas, University of Texas Longhorn fan, you know who Colt McCoy is. Right. And if you know that your Dunkin' Donuts down the street is owned, by, owned Colt by Colt McCoy, McCoy. Yeah. you you see them saying like that. You're that's, going there over Starbucks. Yeah, that's smart to for Colt McCoy to buy Dunkin' Donuts hey, or Dunkin' uh, franchises in the state of Texas versus listen, I'm going to buy 38 Mark, all over the country. Marky Mark Wahlberg owns a Chevrolet dealership in, in Ohio. <laughs> That is awesome that Marky Mark it does anything. But yes. Underwear model, felon. 
Yeah, yeah. Accidentally did a race crime, but that's no big thing. We're a forgiving country. Nobody remembers that. Nobody remembers that. All right, what's your fourth one? You ready? I am. Are you ready? I am ready. Cloud Kitchen. Now, this is a story all about how I had to... I had to learn him, like we would say in the South. Okay. I had to learn him. I had learning to do. I had to, I had to learn him on this one. I had to teach him. I had to, not teach him, but you know, I had to I had to inform him about cloud kitchens. And this is something that we talked about in uh, one of our episodes, where I said in in a year where people have watched their you know in the restaurant business they've watched their livelihoods get stripped away from them for one reason or other, whether, you know, obviously the government closing restaurants, ridiculous, unconstitutional, immoral, wrong. Those are my, just my opinions. This is idiots versus idiots. I'm stupid. Everyone listening. Is I can stupid. verify all those statements that Danny just made. I mean, but, but I'm just saying that is my opinion, but that is horrifying. And, and if you, if you're someone who dreamed of, you know, I'm going to save up money. I'm going to, I'm working at all these crappy restaurants, not crappy restaurants. I'm working crappy jobs at restaurants as a line cook, as a sous chef. And one day I'm going to go open my own concept. And you live through t- the Takata year and you go, okay, all these, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can see videos of, you know, something that's illogical like California where they, they close a lady's restaurant after she put all this money into doing outdoor dining. I saw that. Yes. And right next in this in a one parking lot adjacent to her, mm-hmm. they have huge tents put up for um, a movie set. Yeah. And listen, that is that is if you're an entrepreneur, I'm a businessman. I contemplate, I think about what is the regulatory burden that this industry that an industry has before I get into it. And most of the businesses I've gone into up until now. Very recently, I mean, I'm going to get my real estate license coming up here soon. Um, but up until now have been things that did not involve the government at all. They were just unregulated industries. Marketing, you're starting a you know, marketing company and all this other stuff, you know, was it, and the reason I got into those industries is because there's no barrier century and there's no regulation. What, what Cloud Kitchens offers people is, and, and this year, I think, really put through gas on the fire of this industry because of apps like Uber Eats, mm-hmm. Grubhub. In Austin, we have Favorites, and they closed all their other cities. I think they're only in Austin. They're only in Texas. Um, Postmates. Right. You have right. all of these, all delivery, these delivery services. services. Yeah. And what's, what's happening and what people are witnessing is, you know, I was just at a Chipotle. Well, I was at a Chipotle at the end of last year. And what's really interesting is these newer restaurants are now building a separate delivery uh, kitchen uh, right. on, on the adjacent to there. So you come in. So DoorDash guy, Grubhub guy isn't, and I forget which one Uber acquired. I think it was Grubhub, but I can't remember. Right. You still have, have Uber sub- Eats in a lot of places. and you Well, know. yeah, Uber Eats is like, but it acquired right. Grubhub or DoorDash. I can't remember which one. Nonetheless... What that that industry, the food delivery, the you know the balkanization or the the democratization of food delivery. So it's not just pizza; it's not just Chinese food anymore. Right. It's everything, and they have figured out this way to do it. And you know, if you go to a restaurant now, they just have a separate ticket taker that just goes. This is what came in at a you know a delivery order. And there are some restaurants that are still like I remember there was a story a couple years ago of. 
forget what restaurant it was. I want to say it was Five Guys. The Obama administration made a huge order and said, um, you know, can you guys just uh, prep it and we're going to come pick it up? And they said, yeah, we don't do that. Like, you can send somebody down here and they can wait, but we're not, we don't do what you just asked for. And I don't think it was a political statement. I, I think they were just saying, we don't do that. Right, we we're don't not, do that. We don't, we're not built for that. So Cloud Kitchens, what Cloud Kitchens as a concept offers, and Travis Kalanick is a massive investor in Cloud Kitchens. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what his company's called, but the basic concept of a ghost kitchen is there ain't no restaurant. There's no storefront. There's right. no dining experience. They've removed the um, hospitality out of the hospitality industry. And that's why it's a controversial subject among restaurateurs. Right. But what it does is it says you and I can go fat boy burgers, idiot burger, idiot taco, whatever we want, and just say, hey, we're going to put a concept together. We're going to go buy up ad space on one of these apps or five of these apps, flood the market with our advertising, and we're a new taco company. We're a new taco shop. If, if you move to Central Texas, like a lot of people are doing right now, my first order of business was, where are the good tacos at? Right. And now, you know, and so what Cloud Kitchens offers is like, you can just start a taco delivery-only business. Yeah, they're classified as light commercial, right? So you can go essentially go into a, a, a mixed warehouse type of environment. You you bulk out a kitchen, right? A, a commercial kitchen, and you like you said, you eliminate no seats, no no walk up, no nothing. One hundred percent out the door delivery service, Grubhub, you know Uber Eats, whatever, right? Comes to your door and you take it out. Um, I, I think it offers, and I get why some people would be on board with it as far as big investors. I mean, you're talking about one of the biggest issues with restaurants as an entirety is niche restaurants. It's very difficult to, if you're a, let's say, like here, Pluckers, right? As a, as a, you know, they serve hot wings and beer and whatever. If for whatever reason, hot wings and beer and stuff like that went out of style tomorrow, it would be very difficult for Pluckers to transition their menu and their, their model to be a burger joint instead of a wing bar, right? Or whatever it is, where a cloud kitchen or a virtual kitchen in this way could be very nimble. You could be a taco shop for, 10 weeks and then oh guess what gourmet burgers are what's selling right now well we're also going to do burgers now right we're also because it all is is around that concept of we don't have anybody walking in we have no marketing on the wall or the decor on the you know door no branding anywhere there's no branding anywhere we are literally you could be a different type of restaurant every week you could be 10 different restaurants all running out of the same kitchen and going out in that way and be very nimble with your menu, be, be very nimble with what you serve and how you serve it, what times of day you could close. You could only be open for dinner and not at all work the rest of the day if that was your market, if that's what you were trying to go after. So I, I get the advantageous of it. I, I, I think that people like restaurants. I think as the Dos Equis, as you would say, um, trails out you know, through next year. Um, due to the different things, I think people go back to restaurants in droves. Um, people like that experience. Now, does that mean there's not a market for this? No, I think there still is. But I don't think I don't think cloud kitchens or ghost kitchens is another name for them uh, take over 
the restaurant market. I think there will always be a restaurant market as long as there's dating, as long as there's nights out, as long as there's yeah. that kind no, of and stuff. Listen, here's my thought on it, right? I, here's what I think. Um, I think this is, it's just offering people scale, right? Right. If you, if you thought about opening a restaurant 15 years ago, let's say, right? Because um, food trucks only became as popular as they are after, during the crash. And there was a, I forget the guy's name, um, he's a chef out in California and he made a Korean taco truck. And that was like, yeah, he's just like, Hey man, I'm going to go make $4 tacos because the entire economy is in the tank and who's going to walk into my restaurant. And I think what this offers is, you know, there's a, there's another added thing here, which you were saying is like, you can just be whatever, you know, um, Mr. Beast of Vix, I think he's you know, one of the top 10 earners, YouTube earners in 2020 started Mr. Beast Burgers and he's just popping them up on various cities that right. we have a story. We'll link in the thing in the description. He just said, yeah, we're having Mr. Beast in Dallas delivery only delivery only. And I think it's so interesting that, you know, in the era that we currently exist, where we have a lot of influencer marketing, how easy is it now for, and this is not a new concept in, in times past celebrities have owned restaurants it's not new well not so, only but, owned restaurants but made partnerships with restaurants what it was uh, not long ago it was the logan paul burger at mcdonald's or some other fast no food it restaurant was not that's not whatever you're what entirely incorrect okay travis then go scott ahead. okay travis scott burger at where mcdonald's all right so i had it half right the point is famous scott person is nowhere near logan paul. i don't oh, my care goodness. famous person partners with fast food chain yeah. go up and order the big man burger and you get yeah. a certain thing, right? It's right. no different than any other McDonald's burger. It just might have pickles instead of ketchup or whatever. But that's yeah. the point. I could see this easily fitting nicely with those kind of relationships, right? Yes. Idiots versus idiots, right? The idiot burger, right? We could offer right. that in Dallas very easily by partnering with a ghost kitchen or whatever. Yeah. And, and it would, and the idiot burger, it would just be uh, a slice of thinly sliced chicken. But there's no, there's nothing else on it. There's just, it's just a, a bunch How of wrapped dare up lunch you, meat. sir? How dare you, sir? <laughs> no, what funny How feels just like wrapped up lunch dare meat. dare you, sir? That would be wonderful. Uh, but yeah. the, but yes, yeah, so I could see that. I could also see this eliminating food trucks entirely. Like, why I would I go so. out and open up a food truck when I could partner with one of these kitchens, test my concept, and if it works, that's grow it from there, right? That's what I think, actually. I think it's going to be one of these things where, you know, let's say I and I and I, you know, uh, you know, I'm a big guy, right? Uh, you know, I've done a lot of taste testing. So um, what I'm what I'm driving at is, though, I would have there's a lot of industries, like I said, in one of the other stories I avoid because of regulation and because it creates all these hurdles. Mm -hmm. Whereas with a ghost kitchen, I can absolutely see a version of myself, you know, a long time in the future. I go and do, you know, I start up with a ghost kitchen. I put together a team, we put together a menu, and then that spins off into food trucks, right? And then we do whatever. But I'm just saying, this is creating, what's, what's interesting is, um, this is going to create, I, I think, scale. And there's a lot of restaurants, whether it's Chinese takeout, Mexican places, or you know whatever kind of food, where it's just takeout only already, that will benefit from the economy of scale that this kind of offers them, which is, you know, if you go to, there's a lot of mom and pop Chinese restaurants. Right. 
And I think they're and they're walk up only. And I think they would benefit heavily from they're going to go be in a cloud kitchen. And the thing about this is you can take uh, in, a, in, ex- in, like you said, a warehouse space that doesn't have all of these retail requirements, right? right. About, and then it, it, it offers like, instead of it, say, say it costs 50,000 to go build out a restaurant and you're mostly doing walk up takeout only. Right. <clears throat> but the cloud kitchen is going to say, yeah, 10 grand or whatever you put up. And then, and in Dallas, we have this thing. It's a, it's a food hall. I can't remember the name of, of it off the top of my head. Um, and this was, it was on Shark Tank. And these guys uh, were going on Shark Tank to talk about their waffle company or whatever the heck they were selling, whatever restaurant it was. Like, yeah, we're in a food hall. So it basically took the concept of a food truck. And right. it just said, we're going to just put the whole thing, all the trucks are just parked somewhere anyway. We're just going to put a hall down and we're just all going to split. It's like so a food court the, or, a, you know. But look, I, I think. People if, ain't going to the mall, so they took the food court out, which is the probably the only sustainable part of a mall now anyway. <laughs> right, absolutely. No, we have several of those here in Austin, and there have been several of them that have tried to pop up around places and, and stuff like that. And, and it creates loyalty. But I think, I think. To me, the value in this idea, if it was to catch on, if you got enough of these open in enough big enough cities, right, Dallas and Houston and New York and L.A. and stuff like that, I think what would be more advantageous is for you to own one of those ghost kitchens and then literally market out the wrapping, right? I make breakfast tacos in the morning, and I make these, What do you want? You know, do you want your wrapping on it is the only thing that changes when the order comes in. I make breakfast tacos for 50 different restaurants, right? And they're all paying me to to wrap up the same breakfast taco. Just when it goes out, it has, you know what I mean, whatever's company on it or whatever. You could take – this is how the the, – this is how – uh, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and stuff like that. This is how they do it. They all come out instead of instead of Dr. Pepper or Pepsi now, but Pepsi having a bottling company in Austin and Coca-Cola also having a bottle company in Austin. They made a deal with each other decades ago that hey, you let us make Coca-Cola out of your Pepsi manufacturing plant in Austin and we'll let you make it out of ours in Chicago or whatever. And it yeah. all comes from the same place. So they're utilizing each other's situations across the country if you use this to leverage food in the same way where hey i'm now i'm now opening up in if i own a restaurant in austin i'm now opening up in houston not because i'm opening up a restaurant i've made a deal with a ghost kitchen right there that's going to make my product and just be right just deliver it and the founder uh the the founder of uber travis kalanick who was and by listen, it seemed like a lot of it seemed like a failure to a lot of people at that time, but it's starting to look like he was a genius because he hopped out of one business that's never going to turn a profit, mm-hmm. and he took a bunch of cash on his way out. And he started. I think his company is called Cloud Kitchens. If I'm correct, I don't recall. I think if I remember right, when I was doing my research, there was a company called Actual Cloud Kitchens, and I think that's Travis. And these are Cloud Kitchens, Ghost Kitchens, Ghost right? Kitchens is. It's the Kleenex versus tissue tissue paper. Right, right. So the ghost kitchen is probably the more accurate vernacular here. But I just think, like I said, you know, it's going to be, listen, Kylie Jenner does not, has never made makeup in her life. She's never gone to a factory. Yeah. Somebody brought it to her house and said, we can put these, we can put Kylie on these different lip kits. Right. Mr. Beast, I guarantee you. And here's the thing ultimately is 
if people are like, you know, I remember when I, you know, one of my, my best friends, he flew into Austin and we went and sat in the Franklin barbecue line for four hours. Mm-hmm. And we sat in it three hours or two hours the day before. And we're like, yeah, we screwed up, man. You can't go on a weekend. You're done for. So we had to come back and like he right. pushed his flight back a day. Right. Mm-hmm. So we could go on a Tuesday and sit there. So like it was, but it was a good time, but it's like, you know, and I, you can pay people to go to the Franklin line for you, but I'm saying right. if you figure out, cause Franklin's is one of those things where it's a process and it's hard to do mm-hmm. um, barbecue. Any good barbecue is going to take time and it's really hard to measure like, you know, cause you don't know what kind of demand you're going to have on a given day. Right. If you can mitigate most of that by saying, listen, like, you know, we're just going to, by the time you get to it anyway, it's, you know, hot. It's It's, you know, so what if, you know, companies like that go, yeah, we're going to put a Franklin up in two different other, you know, other cities or whatever, or we're just going to have, you know, our best days of the week are Thursday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every other day we're cloud kitchen. Like, you know, we are only using the, the, the brisket smokers in the back. You guys can use the front. I'm just saying this offers so much flexibility in an industry that was historically un- inflexible. Right. It was, and so I'll, connected to something that I'm more familiar with. I know a guy who owns a car dealership and he's like, yeah, once he lays down a license and the location, he just tells other people, yeah, you go, you know, sublet, sublet the, the spot for me. There's four guys under one roof selling different cars and it's all the same garbage, but it's hilarious. But the point right. is he, he lowered the barrier of entry to people who are interested in an industry. And I think, all I, here's what I think. I, 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 don't, I don't think this is going to kill the restaurant industry. I don't think this is the silver bullet. I think Dosecki's hurt, the, like massively hurt the industry. And I think for a lot of people, this is actually how they get back on their feet. Sure. Right? Well, and I think it's an addition to. Sometimes you can have an addition to. It doesn't have to replace. It can be an addition to. I think there's a lot of things this year that have become more mainstream. We talked about even on this show that the show has kind of come out of, uh, you know, being this year and being that this type of show has become more and more, um, uh, you know, mainstream and that kind of thing. Being that we talk to each other through, you know what I mean, communication this way, no matter where we're I at. still hate it, but you know, uh, you, you can you hate everything. Get out of here. You're an idiot. Not true. Anyway, the the point is 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 I think this would be a great in addition to if it happens, if it takes hold, if it's a concept. I think there's a lot of money to be made. We already know, and what you're talking about with like Jenner and stuff like that, it's called it's been around forever. It's called white labeling, right? I can I can take my name, my brand, my whatever all day long and, and slap it on somebody else's product and pay them for it, right? I give them a slice of pie or whatever. And I think that's essentially the idea. This restaurant the, idea the is George- that. The George Foreman Grill. Yeah. It was literally a company. An agency came to George Foreman and said, we have five products. What do you think? I think one was a vacuum or something. I don't remember. But he's like, I really like the grill and so on and so forth. And the guy made a bajillion dollars off a sucky grill. Like the grill was... T- I, George Foreman grills were terrible. I, I've had, I had one. Or two along the way at some point. The, the problem but, is yeah. they took all the fat out of it, right? So then what? Fat is flavor, right? Yeah. But but the point is, is what we were just talking about. He, he printed put his stupid name love. 
on something else that he didn't develop himself. Not just his name, the name of all eight of his children, including his daughter. <laughs> that is true, which is insane to me. But you can't I, let a guy who's been bopped in the head that many times name kids. You could make millions of dollars selling this to uh, influencers, right? The, the like you said the the guy the podcasting guy and he's now got a burger right if you went to these these he's not a podcasting guy you he's have a YouTube children guy. that are in, yeah he's you, a YouTuber I, why are you busting my balls Dan like you why have you sons my, that are in this demographic what do I care whether he's a podcaster a YouTuber an those Instagram a TikToker I don't care they're all that, those social are media things. type I understand they're different things and yes I'm ancient and I'm old the point though is is I think if you took this concept if you actually got a ghost kitchen up and running you right. could sell that burger that whatever oh, yeah. taco totally. to an un bridled amount of youtubers podcasters influencers out there i'm I'm, I'm also just thinking like if you go out there and you know there's a lot of people who build brands around fitness right now right right so they go hey listen you know i'm doing a i've got my juice i got a juice company cloud juice how i mean juice land in austin's printing money right right it's silly they Print because the marketing, money. the markup on something like that is insane. Yeah, yeah. Well, what does wheatgrass cost? Four cents, <laughs> and that's for like two years worth of wheatgrass. It's four cents. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I've all had the a wheatgrass hairs, shot before. That is it's okay. I'll pass. That that's like licking your freshly minted front lawn right there. I don't do that. Okay, I don't do that. I'm here for a good time, not a long time. But. <laughs> I'm I'm just saying, like I really love this concept, and what when I what I really like in any industry or any time in the marketplace, when something really difficult gets democratized, that's when me the consumer, me the chubby boy who likes to eat tasty things, mm-hmm. that's when I get the opportunity to eat tastier things. That's when I got the when when Casual Mail, which is now Destination XL, which is right. just the XL, does a partnership agreement with Amazon, which is probably bad for them. It's probably not good for right. DXL. It's great for me. Sure, absolutely. It's good for me. So I think what we're going to see is a lot more creativity because you're 18, 19, 20, and you, and you figure out, like, I make well, – there's only one thing that I make with I think is world-class, which is a brisket pizza, right? I can figure out now how to give that pizza to the world. Right? Absolutely. And I can just say, yeah, we're popping up in Dallas for two months. We're going to be in Austin for three months, whatever. And that's it. Like, I just, it doesn't, it lowers the barrier to commitment. Like, you don't, it's fantastic. And I think it's great. And uh, can you imagine marketing this to families? Like, I I have a wife and three kids. Can you imagine if I had a ghost kitchen near me that, Uh that, that, that was partnered with or represented, let's just say, five different restaurants, right? Right. you You realize how often I would, order from that place because I could get my wife and I could get this from this menu. My kids and could get yeah. this from this menu. You know what I mean? Or whatever you could it's literally with one court. delivery, get yeah. three different restaurants because that's what everybody's feeling for that night. You market so, that to families. Yeah. Right. And here's, what's interesting. We'll end on this. We've been going a little longer than we anticipated. Yeah. A guy last year, and this was part of my initial question to you was, 
uh, he went on Shark Tank last year with a with a ghost kitchen concept where he said, I build the ghost kitchen. I rent it out to other people, but I also run five different menus. So he just says, I have five concepts. There's eight concepts. I forget what it was. An Asian concept, a pizza concept. Listen, this is actually how restaurant groups function, right? Right. They, they go, okay, we have an Indian fusion restaurant. Now we need a Tex-Mex, whatever. And so that they're covering all their bases. And I think that's beautiful. I don't think, I, I think that delivery food at the end of the day, um, this year has kind of proven that, you know, it, sometimes we got to do weird stuff to be feel special. Right. And ordering in, now you can take ordering in from like, okay, what choice? It's like the four pizza places in that one Chinese restaurant. And then there's that episode of Seinfeld where Lane's like right outside of the delivery zone. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, you don't know. You don't, you don't, you don't know Seinfeld. I like know Seinfeld. Seinfeld but, I do know Seinfeld. Yes. I do. Uh, yeah. No but it's like the, the, yes. Uh, no, that's a different episode. But yeah. I don't care if it's a different episode. It's still Seinfeld. Get on board, you <laughs> jerk. All right. Yeah. Busting my balls. Okay. I know. But I'm just saying. So that that is what I think is going to be so fun about this is it's going to offer people who couldn't previously thousands, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, you know, because somebody's entrepreneurs like you and I are going to go in and we're going to build ghost kitchens and we're going to figure out the health department side of it. We're going to hire the chefs and a, a chef is going to come in and say, okay, you guys already have the line cooks. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to tell them how to make my food. Right. Follow and- this recipe. Right, that's what that's something it. like that will be. You're buying the totally. recipe, right, and the name totally. from that kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, we've talked for long enough today. You know, you're yes, getting on have. my nerves uh, enough. I'm not always on your nerves, though. Isn't that yeah, fair to you say? You really are. Like, if there yeah. was there, if there was a median here, you know what I mean, and then there's a high level, you definitely rank up here. Right. Of course. You definitely. Yeah. Just, that's why we're in business together. Yeah, that made a lot of sense to me. I regret it more and more each day. Um, and uh, you know, you're you stuck know with me is. now, you idiot. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. Let's just put it that way. All righty. All right. Well, we'll see you next time, folks. We appreciate you. Um, uh, I don't. <laughs> Danny never does. But uh, comment down below. Leave those questions. We'll get to them if we can, just like our very first one uh, we talked about today. Uh, comment down below. Send any issues, as always, to Danny at upyours.com. <laughs> Did I get that right this time, Danny? Yep. All right, folks. We'll see you next time. Thanks for watching. Bye now.